Welcome. Welcome this weekend. Good to see you guys. Welcome everybody watching online. Thanks for joining us as well. It's, uh, it's really, really good to be together this weekend. We started a series last weekend uh, that we called God Is. And uh, we said how we kind of fill in the blank. God is kind of blank. How we fill that blank in has massive ramifications on our lives. Uh, what we think about God, what our instinct is about God, really determines how we view life, uh, how we view life after death, how we view the circumstances we live in. It determines our value system. It determines really everything about us. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says that the heart is the wellspring of life. And so I like to say that life is built from the soul up. And so how I kind of insert God and the truth that I claim in that place of my soul is how I will think and view and approach life and everything around me. And so we started talking about that last weekend and uh, had a long conversation about it online, on the app, on the podcast. Encourage you to look at that uh, because we just looked and said that's a big deal. Like how God thinks, how God feels, having a, a clear understanding about his heart and his mind uh, directly defines our heart and our mind. And so we started looking at how God defines himself. And we looked at this passage, I'll show you here in a minute, and we started digging into it, and we're gonna kinda talk about this passage here for the next few weeks at Grace. But before I take us back there, I wanna remind us of the paradigm that we should think of God within, right? Because we got a gazillion ideas about God, and I said last week, I've actually said many times over the years, if I could somehow reach into your brain and I could control you for one, thing, one second and I could make you believe something about God, the thing that I would make you believe about God is that he loves you and he has your best interest in mind. And if you could have that as a foundational paradigm, a foundational belief system, you could understand the scripture and you could understand everything that God does and how he works in your life. And so I was showing you that a little bit last week and I took you to these two passages of scripture, both of which Jesus is speaking, where he kind of clarifies this. So John 10, 10, Jesus says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So what is Jesus's motivation for being involved in our lives? That he can bring us spiritual life. We all have sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody righteous, no, not one. God's standard is not goodness. His standard is perfection. And so our souls need to be rescued. We need to be forgiven. We need to have a way of escape. Jesus came to bring us that spiritual life and life to the full. Like a loving father, a good father, he wants to bless us. He wants to help us. He wants to give to us. He does not mean the TV junk. He doesn't mean you get a new boat, a new Lamborghini, and your hair grows back. What he means is that spiritual fulfillment the deep needs that we have as a human being, to know that we're loved, that we're known, that we have purpose, all those kind of things. So he comes to give us life and give it to the full, and that's his motivation. And then how does he interact with us as he brings us these things? He's talking to a church in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, and he kind of describes that a little bit. 
to this church, Laodicea, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So he says, here I am. He doesn't say, you better open the door or I'll kick it in. Here I am. I'm going to huff and puff until you do what I tell you to do. He says, here I am. I'm here for you. And what I'm doing is I'm knocking on that door. If you want me to give you life and give it to you in the full, I want to do that. But I will not make you love me. I will not make you follow me. You probably won't get hit by lightning if you reject me. You probably won't get transferred to Michigan and have to live there the rest of your life. But I'm giving you that freedom of choice and that free will. But I am here to do those things for you. So if we can put that in as a paradigm, a foundation, then we can look and we can start to look at other things that God says about himself. And those things will make sense because they're built off of that foundation, all right? So we looked, talked about that last week. Like I said, it's out there. I encourage you to look at it. And then we went to this passage in Exodus chapter 34. And uh, we'd love for you to turn there in your Bibles. If you want to use the Bibles in the chairs, it's page 72. If you don't have a physical Bible and you want to keep that one, please just keep it. Let it be our gift to you. And then this, of course, is on the app and on the website as well. But in Exodus chapter 34, we started looking at this because this is one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. This is the passage that the Bible quotes the most throughout the rest of the Bible. So the writers of the Bible, and the, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they drew this passage through. It's kind of the golden thread. It comes up over 30 different times, either in whole or in part, all the way through the Bible. And it is the place where God most clearly and concisely defines himself and tells us who he is and what he is like. And this is what he says. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He's been interacting with them, interacting with Moses. And he comes down to kind of define his relationship with them. And he says this. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. And that is God's very clear definition of himself, his heart, his mind, and that's what we're going to start looking at kind of piece by piece here this weekend. And I want to start by looking at the beginning of this definition where he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And what I want to show you this weekend is what God means by that. And then I want to show you how he shows us more and more and more of himself all the way through scripture. And as we understand more and more of who he is, we'll understand what he's like and then that will have massive ramifications for us personally as we interact with God, okay? So let's look at this. Who is God? His words, I'm the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Now I want you to see something here, how he titles himself. He says, this is who I am. I am the Lord, 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and then he repeats that, the compassionate and gracious God. And I want to talk about that for a second because it'll help us as we go further into our conversation. When you look at the first two books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, what you'll find is that God has several different names. And you'll find this all throughout the Bible. But just in the first two books of the Bible, you'll see God referred to as God, G-O-D. You'll see him referred to as Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. You'll see him referred to as Lord like he is here, capital L, all uppercase o-r-d. You'll see him referred to as the mighty God, and you'll see him referred to as the Lord God. And you'll see that several times. There's a bunch of different names for God all the way through scripture. Now, this is a big deal because on the surface to our Western ear, what that sounds like is God simply referring to himself in different ways. Uh, it's the way that you and I would think. If you know me, you might call me Jeff. You might call me Pastor Jeff. You might call me Jeffaroo. Uh, you might call me Jeffrey. You might call me uh, Dr. Bogue. You might call me the Holy Reverend Dr. Bogue, but I'm not holy. But you might have all the, and you'd be like, yeah, there's a bunch of different ways that I would refer to Jeff, right? And if we're not careful, we would look at the different names of God and we would just think of them like that because that's the way we would interact with, with each other. What I wanna show you here is that when you're looking at the first part of the Bible, you have to understand it a little bit to get all of the meaning out of it, ready? So we're gonna Bible nerd here for four minutes, ready? Bible nerd with me. When we look at the Bible, our English Bible is translated primarily from two different languages. The second part of the Bible, the New Testament, we translated out of Greek into English. And so sometimes when we're teaching in the New Testament, you'll hear me say something like, in the original Greek, it means this. The Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, we translated primarily from Hebrew into English. So when we're looking at the Old Testament, sometimes we have to understand how Hebrew works a little bit. Now let me give you an example of why this is important, okay? So here in North America, if you came up to me and said, Jeff, I heard you just had a birthday, I would say, that's right, and you missed it, and I like cash, and I like gift cards, and I'm willing to allow you to give them to me with a 10% late fee. And so I would look at that, and if you said, when is your birthday? I would say it this way. I would say, my birthday is May 10th, and I was born in 1971, right? So when's your birthday? 51071. And as a North American person, that would make all kinds of sense to us, right? Now, my wife Heidi is Brazilian, so we have family in Brazil. And when my family in Brazil asks me my birthday, and when they, they speak Portuguese, so when they ask me from their cultural position in their language when my birthday is, I would tell them my birthday is the 10th of May, 1971, right? 
And it's just a language thing. It's a, it's a cultural difference. Uh, if we were standing on the street corner and a yellow school bus went by here in North America, I would look at you and say, did you see the yellow school bus? If we were in Brazil and we were speaking Portuguese with the construct of their grammar, I would look at you and I would say, did you see the bus that's yellow go by, right? So if I don't know that and understand that, then I don't really know how to interact with it because as a North American, if I read my birthday in Portuguese, you would say, so you were born October 5th, right? And we would, we would not understand it correctly. So when we look at the Old Testament, we have to do the same thing. And when we look at the names of God and what the names are and how they're used, we have to remember that they're Hebrew and we're understanding them in a modern North American English speaking context, right? And so I wanna show you something I think is pretty cool that's gonna help you get your head around who God is and what he's like a little bit more. Now, to show you this, I actually wanna go back in our Bible to Exodus chapter three. So if you flip back to your Bible to Exodus chapter three, what we're gonna do is we're gonna run into the first time Moses interacts with God, okay? So in Exodus 34, Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out into the, toward the promised land. In Exodus 34, when God says, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, gracious, compassionate God, he, that's that context. Way before that, Moses kind of interacted with God for the first time. So Moses' backstory is a very fascinating one. It's kind of a famous Bible story. Some of you may know it a little bit. But Moses is a Hebrew child who was raised in a Egyptian palace. His adoptive mom was, a, was one of Pharaoh's daughters. She was a princess. So he's a Jewish kid that was raised in the Egyptian palace under the Pharaoh's care. When Moses was a young man, he knew about his Jewish roots the Jews were enslaved by the Egyptians at the time, and he saw a Egyptian slave master beating a Jewish slave. Moses' blood kind of boiled because his people were being oppressed, and he went to that slave master, and he actually beat the slave master, and he killed him. And so when that happened, as a Jewish kid in an Egyptian palace, he had to make a run for it for his life. And he wound up out in the area of this place called Mount Sinai, where he was a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro. So Moses is out doing shepherd stuff. This was before Wi-Fi, so he's just kind of hanging out, looking around, minding his own business. And as he's doing that one day, he sees this unbelievable sight. He sees a bush that's on fire but it's not being burned up. So he's curious about that. So he walked over to the burning bush. He's trying to figure out what's going on and God spoke to him kind of for the first time from this burning bush. And in chapter three, verse five, God said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for this place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, 
to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he interacts with Moses for the first time. Now, remember, it's not just different names of God. All these are Hebrew words. So the word that God uses here for God, that we translate God, is the word Elohim. Elohim. And Elohim is not a personal word. It's like a category of a word. So I am God. God actually uses it in the first verse of the Bible, where at Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, and God created the heavens and the earth. The word there is Elohim, that Hebrew word. So Elohim is like a, a generic term for God. So uh, if you were Jewish, you would say, I worship Elohim. If you were Egyptian, you would say, I have many Elohims that I worship. If you were, uh, there weren't Muslims then, but if there were, they would say, Allah is Elohim. It's just a generic word for God. So what God is saying here to Moses is he's saying, hey, You know that Old Testament part of the scripture that you kind of know about a creator, that you weren't just evolved from monkeys, but there was a creator, Elohim? That's me, and that Elohim, the one that your father told you about, the one that you were taught about that interacted with Abraham, the one that you were taught about interacted with Isaac and Jacob, when when Abraham's wife Sarah got pregnant at 80 years old and it was a miracle from Elohim, that's me. When you heard about Isaac and he was almost gonna be sacrificed but Elohim stepped in, that's who you're talking about. You know the story of Jacob and Esau, Moses did, that's Elohim, that is who I am. I am the God that you grew up learning about who did all these miraculous and powerful things. I am Elohim. And he explains, in essence, to Moses that he's interacting with the God that has divine power and wants to uh, and has shown up in, in, to interact with him. God then says to him from that same place, verse seven, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned for their suffering. Verse nine, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Elohim, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the Elohim of my fathers has sent me, the God of my fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now that's an important thing, okay? In English, our names are identifiers, right? How, how do you know who I am? I'm Jeff, right? Hebrew names don't work that way. In Hebrew, names are descriptors. So Moses isn't just saying like, so what's your name? So you're God, you got a name, bro? He's not saying that. He's saying, when I go to them and say, God sent me, which God? 
the God we all grew up hearing about because we're Jewish, what should I tell them you're like? How do I define you? What's your heart and mind? Why are you here? Why are you talking to me in a burning bush and what did you send me over to Egypt for? What am I supposed to say to these people about you? And it's at this point that God says to Moses his name. And he starts to describe himself in kind of deeper and deeper and more and more relational terms. Verse 14, so God says to Moses, said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. Ready? You're to say, I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you, right? So God's interacting with Moses, and he looks at him, and he says, tell them Elohim is sending you, but then he gives two other names. And he says this, tell them I am has sent you. What we translate I am is the word Iyah, Iyah, right? And Iyah means this, it means I will be who I will be, right? What he's saying is this, tell him the creator God has sent you and then tell them Iyah has sent you that the God of truth, the God who is eternal, the God who has always been and who will always be, the God that is the way, the truth, the definer of all things, that I have sent you. So Elohim and then the truth the eternal God has sent you. And then he says, say to the Israelites, the Lord. This word Lord, the Hebrew word for that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. Right? So this is what God is saying to Moses. Tell him, tell him that God sent you, Elohim. Tell them that Yah sent you the truth sent you, and then tell them that their creator and their truth, tell them that my name is Yahweh. That I'm not just this big, massive concept. I'm not just these truth and foundation and rules but I am a personal God. Tell them my name and that my name is Yahweh, right? And that I want to know them and I want to be known by them, right? Moses is in essence looking at God and he's saying, 
help me with this. What is God? What is God? Is he a, the force? Is he the higher power? Is he the energy that flows through all things? Like, what is God? And God looks at Moses and he says, well, I'm Elohim. I'm the creator. I'm the one who created the heavens and the earth. The day, the night, the world, humanity in my image. Then he asks this question, well, who is God? I mean, you're out there somewhere. Are you just, is, is all, everybody the same God? All, are we all worshiping the same God? God says, no, I, I am that's who I am. I am, I am the truth. I, I am the word of God. I, I am all that you have believed and been taught to believe. I am that person. Ready? Then he says, but who are you, God? Who are you to me? I mean, it's great that I have a creator. I can't really do a lot about that. Okay, I mean, there's a, there's a truth. I mean, I guess somebody's got to be right about something. But who are you? And God looks at him and he says, I am Yahweh. That is my name, right? Now in Hebrew, especially, as you interact with someone and you learn their name, their name is defining the type of relationship that they want with you, right? It's different, right? If, uh, if you didn't, if I was out speaking somewhere and I needed to impress the people that I was speaking with so they would listen to me, I would give them my formal name. You guys probably do that too. Like if you're in business or something like that, you may have to give a formal name. So my formal name is Reverend Dr. Jeffrey A. Bogue, right? And I would use that title to kind of get your attention. If you come to Grace a lot, but we don't know each other really well, you would probably just call me Pastor Jeff. Because that's, that's like my title, and it's a less formal title, and, and I wouldn't really want you to call me the Reverend Dr. Jeffrey A. Bogue. It's just a mouthful, right? And so you'd probably just call me Pastor Jeff. If you know me well, and we were friends, you would just call me Jeff. See? Now, if I want to impress you, and help you understand, but I wanted to be your friend, if you came up to me and said, Reverend Dr. Jeffrey A. Bogue, if I didn't want this relationship, I wanted this one, I would look at you and I would say, just call me Jeff. God is helping Moses and us Get his head around the magnitude of who God is. I'm your creator. I am truth. But call me Yahweh. I want to know you. And I want to be known by you. And I want to interact with you 
as a friend. In fact, later on in Exodus chapter 33, the Bible says that God would interact with Moses as a friend. This creator, truth giver, friend wanted to interact and know Moses in an intimate way and be known by him in that way as well. Now, you bounce back to Exodus chapter 34 and God is defining himself. And he doesn't say, I am Elohim, Elohim. He doesn't say that. I am, I am the creator, the creator. And he doesn't say, I'm Yeha, Yeha. I, I am the truth giver, the truth giver. What he says is, I am Yahweh, Yahweh, the gracious and compassionate God. I want you to know me. I don't want you to be afraid of me. I don't want, I don't want a religious system that puts me at a distance. I, I, don't, I don't want you to make up a bunch of rules and keep them. I want to know you, and I want you to know me. I am Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and the gracious God, see. Now here's what's fascinating. You get to the New Testament, and Jesus is interacting with his disciples. By the way, the Bible says that Jesus is the manifestation of God. So he, he is Yahweh. See? He's God with skin on. And so in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And the Bible says that when he teaches them to pray, he, the, the way that he says it in the English is he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? So it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say our Elohim, who are in heaven. He didn't say that. He doesn't say, our Yah, who are in heaven, our truth giver, who are in heaven. Ready? He doesn't even say, our Yahweh, who are in heaven. Don't you catch this? Jesus uses a Greek word, and he says this, our Abba, or our Father who are in heaven. And Jesus takes God from a creator to the truth to a friend to our Father. And so God would look at us and say, that's what I want you to understand. When you see the Lord, the Lord, I want you to see Yahweh, Yahweh, friend, friend, but as a loving and protective and healthy and giving father. I am the Lord, the Lord, but like a father, I am gracious and a compassionate God. And I am your friend, and I'm your father, and I am the truth, and I am your creator, and I want to know, and I want to interact with you. Okay. I was thinking about this. 
started thinking about my dad. I, I loved my dad. My dad's with the Lord. He's been with the Lord for a long time now, and I miss him loving. We had a great relationship. He wasn't perfect. I just never talk about anything negative about him publicly. But he was a great, great guy. He really was. I was thinking about this. I was like, if, if I was gonna have a connection to God like I would my father, and I had the privilege of having a healthy, loving father, what would that connection look like? So I thought about that. I thought, you know, I loved my dad and I felt loved by my dad. Best thing my dad gave me, my greatest inheritance is my dad made sure that I knew that he, he knew, I knew that he loved me and I knew that he was proud of me. He gave me what every man and every child I think longs for from their father. My dad gave me that. So I love my dad and my dad was proud of me and I rest in that, right? But I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, I also, I feared my dad. Not because he was a hothead, because he was my father. And he would discipline me because he loved me. So my, my dad, there's certain things you didn't do. And you knew it. Uh, you did not lie to the man. You didn't lie to Clarence, buddy. Ooh. He, he would not have that. Because he'd look at you and he'd say, son, you don't lie to people that you love. Do you love me? Yes, daddy. Then you don't lie to me. You didn't deceive him. Uh, you didn't break your word to him. My dad was a high, high integrity guy. I don't know of one lie my dad ever told. And I, my whole life, I was, I think, 38 when my dad died. He was 74. I never my whole life heard him say a curse word once. So I feared him. Like, I, I knew that I was interacting with my dad. We weren't like drinking buddies. He was my dad. I also laughed with him all the time. My dad might have been the most hilarious person that ever lived in your life. My family, we still do this. We will, we will get ourselves laughing and we will literally weep because we're laughing so hard. And that comes from my dad. He'd pick on you. He was so funny. And then he'd get laughing and then he'd get you laughing. My dad um, sacrificed deeply for us. My dad was a factory foreman. And so when my dad wanted to give something to the family, he just worked more hours. And he would do that. And he, he always, he loved to bless us. He loved to give us things. It's one of his love languages, right? I also knew that you didn't mess with his family. If I was mean to my sister, my dad wouldn't say, stop treating your sister that way. My dad would say, you're not going to treat my daughter that way. If I did something to my mom, he wouldn't say, don't talk to your mother. He would say, you're not gonna be disrespectful to my wife. And if you mess with me, you got that from him too. You didn't mess with his family. See? I felt safe with him. I knew he'd protect me. I knew I could be myself. I knew that if I did mess up, if I went and told him the truth, he'd work it out with me. 
me. And until the day he died, if he was in the room with our family, he was revered, he was deferred to, and he was adored. He loved to bless us, but you better not be a spoiled brat. It was okay to make a mistake, but you better not drag the family name through the mud. And, and you could be immature and grow, but you better grow from your immaturity. And we didn't have unreasonable expectations on us, but if you were given an opportunity, you should count it as a gift and take advantage of it. He was my father. And his word was the law. And he would be just as apt to wrestle with us and laugh with us and goof off with us. So he was a friend. But he was my dad. And that defined our relationship. When I think about my relationship with my children, you guys, sometimes you guys will say something to me. Uh, you'll come up to me every once in a while and you'll say, Jeff, I hate to bug you. You'll say that. And you're being nice. I appreciate that. But I, I, I actually don't like it. I don't feel bugged. But I say, I hate to bug you, right? You say that sometimes. Sometimes even friends will do that with each other. Uh, I'll find out something happened in my friend's life. I'm like, why didn't you... Why am I finding this out now? Like, why didn't you tell me? Eh, I just hate to bug you, right? In fact, we'll do this in our friendship. If a friend does something for us, we feel like we owe them one, you know? So like, they, they help us out, and then they're like, hey, we're moving. We're like, ah, oh, I gotta go help, you know? Kids are getting married, I gotta go to the wedding. You know, it's just the way it works, right? So we'll interact with each other that way. You know who never thinks that way? My children. They love to bug me. They never feel like I owe them one. Why? Because I'm their father. And who I am defines my relationship with them, like my dad with me. I never bugged my dad. My dad was thrilled to see me. I didn't mooch off my dad. He liked to bless us. And I knew who he was, so I knew what the lines were. Because he was my father, because of who I was to him, that became the foundation that defined our relationship with each other. Now in scripture, God goes to these extraordinary lengths. It's like, you wanna know my heart? You wanna know my mind? You, know what? you wanna know who I am? Yeah. Well, I'm your creator. 
I'm your creator. You, you didn't happen onto the earth. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I planned you, I designed you, I'm your creator. I'm your truth. No, my truth is my truth. No, my truth's the only truth. I have always been, I will always be, I'm eternal. Nobody else is. I'm your truth. I'm the, I'm the framework through which you should function in life. I'm your friend. Call me Yahweh. I'm your friend. Jesus says, I, I, I no longer call you my servants. I, I want to call you my friends. I, I want to journey through life with you. I don't want you to show up once a week and pay homage to me. I, I don't want you to drop coins in a plate like a Buddhist would put fruit in front of an idol. That's not what this is. I'm your, I'm your friend. And I'm your father. And all that's entailed, everything from laughing our heads off to respect, reverence, deference. But I want you to know me that way. And I know you. And I want that. Not whatever your preconceived ideas are or whatever. I want my definition of myself. I'm the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God. I want that to be the foundation of our relationship. Here's the question I wrote down. Ready? Do you know the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? Do you know the Lord personally? Do you, do you enjoy him? Do you trust him? When he brings about correction in your life, do you receive that as a father who would correct a child? When he says no to you in life, do you see that as a father who would protect or guide a child? When he says yes to you in life, do you receive that as a blessing? A good God who likes to give us good things? Do you know him personally because he's really gone out of his way to introduce himself? And when you interact with him, not as an enabler, that's, that's not the heart of God, and not as a controller, but as a God who came to give you life and to give it to you in the fullest, who says, here I am and I knock. You need me because you're dead in your sins and trespasses and only I can be the God of the resurrection. And I want to give to you my yoke is easy, my burden's light. And I won't make you follow me, but I definitely want you to know who I am so that you can choose to do that. And I'd love to hang out with you 
and I'd love it if you chose to do that with me. I am the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate God. Would you pray with me as the band comes out? Jesus, we love you. Help us with this, God. Lord, you say strong things in this definition that you cannot let the guilty go unpunished, that you will deal with sin. That's all a part of who you are, but you start it with your heart, that you want to know us and be known, that you want to journey with us, you want to love us, you want to be that gracious God and Father. And Lord, somehow I think it's so true that if we don't understand the first part of the definition, we'll never understand the second part. So this is your foundation. God, would you reveal yourself to us even now through your Holy Spirit and through your word? And would you help us to see you for who you are, to trust what you say about yourself, and even to receive, God, what you came to give us. In these still moments, would you work in us in these powerful ways? We ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.